Hi, I'm Deborah Holchip, editor of Michigan Today. In this episode of Listen in Michigan, my guest is David Zinn, a philosopher disguised as a chalk artist, festooning the sidewalks of Ann Arbor with whimsical creatures living among the cracks and weeds and pipes and rocks that we otherwise ignore. If you're lucky, you might see his green friend Sluggo, the one with stalks for eyes, or Nadine, the unflappable mouse who befriends subterranean wombats. And you've surely encountered Philomena the flying pig, who frankly is scared of nothing. Now I use the term lucky because David's art, and that's art with a small a per his own description, is by its very nature temporary. Though he photographs each piece when it's complete, he is content to pack his chalk and walk away when he's done. Let his creatures live their own lives for now. Wind, rain, footfalls, whatever the case. Nothing lasts forever. David's form of art is akin to pareidolia. That's the thing when we see a dog in the clouds or the Virgin Mary in our toast. David's form began as a kid. His parents always kept some paper and pencils close by to keep their children occupied. He and his brother were inveterate doodlers, challenging each other to complete pictures that started with a line or a squiggle. For him, that was way more inviting than an empty canvas. And the technique supported a successful commercial career before he transitioned to a career as a full-time artist with a lowercase a. When he's not crouched on the Ann Arbor sidewalk drawing his creatures into life, he may be traveling the globe or visiting schools, signing his chalk art handbook, or giving a TED Talk. Whatever the case, you can be sure he is delivering some pretty profound life lessons born in that battered box of chalk. For an admittedly shy person, David has more friends than he can count. One of his strongest bonds and most impactful revelations grew from an argument with a funny-looking green dude who had his own vision of reality. Well, here, I'll let David explain. It became clear that I had been trying to draw something that didn't want to be there, when what I should have been doing was paying attention to what did want to be there. And what did want to be there was Sluggo, waiting patiently for me to get over myself and put the eyes where they're supposed to be instead of where I think they should be. And so that's a pretty strong bond to have a friendship that starts with a fight like that. I do think he's still important to have around as a companion because of something he has, which is a result of something he lacks. He has unbridled enthusiasm at all times because he lacks eyelids. And it's very hard to be bored or sleepy or calm or sad without eyelids. It's just, it's a fact of visual art. Very true. That they're a necessary part of these sadder emotions. And so he's always very enthusiastic, not always happy, but very enthusiastic one way or the other. And that's a good thing to have around. Um, but I think that's why the why Nadine, the mouse, and Philomena, the flying pig, they have very different eyes. They have little spot type eyes, uh, which have the opposite difficulty that it's very hard to make them be upset about anything because their eyes are only this big. <laughs> their eyes are only that big. You're always pretty much okay and nothing more than everything that's happening around you. And Nadine comes out much the same except that she feels more like a role model uh, in that she is unflappable and yet very often putting herself in very dangerous situations that I would never attempt myself. I'm amazed that people are fond of this particular drawing because it was drawn on Main Street 
out near where Peaceful Kingdom used to be because there's a lot of residual imagination that's just always going to be right there. And there is a, a large, one of those flat spreading weeds growing through a crack in the sidewalk that looked very much like a terrifying fish. And it's one of those guilty cases where I drew very little of what's in the photograph because the terrifying green fish was already there. I gave it some teeth, which made it more terrifying. And there was a washer nearby that made a very terrifying eye. So it worked together pretty well. And I would have, I think while I was drawing that, I thought this is going to be a little too scary. I shouldn't, I mean, children follow me on Facebook. I shouldn't be sharing this terrifying fish. And around the time I was thinking that was when Nadine became part of the picture, sitting in a boat, feeding this fish a piece of cake, <laughs> which didn't reduce the terrifying nature of the creature, but it did kind of put it in perspective, where the exact moment I was thinking, yeesh, what is this? She was like, it's something that needs a piece of cake. I have always wanted to catch David drawing on the street, and I never have, but earlier this month, he joined with the Ann Arbor District Library in an event for the Ann Arbor Summer Festival. And there he was with his open wooden box of multicolored chalk creating art in South Maple Park. It was a windy Sunday afternoon and a blues band was playing Prince covers, very loud, sorry. And David was bringing to life a long green lizard using a weed for an unruly mane. A woodland critter in a striped sweater was on his back holding the reins and waving. Oh my God, it was so cute. At least until the rain comes. Listen in as David charms a boy who doesn't make art into borrowing some chalk. Like I said, for a shy person, David has a lot of friends. There you go, buddy. That's what you want. Oh yeah. Well, that's what we want. alive There you go. Outside. Let's put some light in there, shall we? It's almost too exciting. It'll chill you out. It does go way back, only as a solution to a problem that goes way back. Feeling like every piece of art has to spring forth completely from scratch. And I was never able to make art under those circumstances. And so I was at risk of never making art. And augmented pareidolia is more like playing connect the dots, where you really only have to see a glimpse of even just part of what the thing maybe could be. And it is, it's still the same, you know, brain game of, of seeing something that isn't really there, but then you have the freedom to add to what is already there to make it more like one thing and less like another. When I didn't have the bravery to paint canvases and make real art, I was very happy to scribble in the corners of a placemat while waiting for food mm -hmm. because that was a, a literal and metaphorical pareidolia. Literal because there was probably a little design there that looked like a face or a hamburger that I could make into a hamburger Soros, but also more symbolically that it was not trying to make art. I was there to wait for food. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks. I'm glad I had a good spot for it here with you. I know that on my own part, I have never made anything worthwhile with my creative abilities by starting from the point of, I am going to make art now. <laughs> we invest a lot into the idea of art, and especially what is good art and what yeah. is successful art. Even at the same time, acknowledging that 
good in terms of art is a very squidgy thing to put your finger on. Is it good because it's beautiful? Clearly not. Is it good because everyone likes it? Clearly not. Many people would argue that actually if a lot of people like it, that's probably a sign that it's bad art. <laughs> so that's my issue is that especially the capital A on the art, I think is putting the focus in the wrong place. Yeah. It's putting the focus on the result and on the acceptance of the result when I think the power of it is in the doing. I saw a lot of art going on down there. Yeah. Has it, has it gotten to be any more? Have you been drawing down there? No, I haven't been drawing in a while. I don't draw, I don't draw art. No, I want to, but I don't know. You got a different uh, way of expressing yourself artistically? Like, do you like sing or dance or like play an dancing. instrument? See, now this is why this is good to point because I cannot dance. I wish I could. But You're allowed to have things you don't like yeah. that don't work for you. Um, but also to be able to identify that we do have this in common in some way. Yeah. That there's something we excel at and there's something we are not so comfortable with. And we almost always focus on the things we're uncomfortable with without celebrating the things that we're great at. I've noticed there's a kind of a, a yin-yang, polarized experience between the people who are very comfortable drawing from their imagination, but really stressed out about drawing anything from life, and the people who are the exact opposite. Because it's very easy to convincingly argue that if you cannot draw something while looking at it, you are a terrible artist. And that if you cannot make something up from your imagination, you are a terrible artist. And almost everyone I meet is very good at, at sort of tripping themselves up over this thing. That whatever other people can do well must be what's important. And whatever I do well, yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, and I stick with my lizards. Mm -hmm. But you probably draw better than you think. That's the main thing. And, I, and maybe I dance better than I think, but we'll never know. <laughs> now that I've spent some time we'll never know. drawing almost always out in the world somewhere, when I've run into situations recently where I wanted or was required to draw something on a piece of paper, it felt really un surprisingly uncomfortable. Hmm. Feels like drawing creatures in an empty blank cage. Not only do they have nothing to, to help inspire them and support them, but they don't even exist as part of the real world now. They just exist in this little four-sided little barrier. Uh, and, it, and it feels rude <laughs> to the ones I think of as my friends to do that. And in the meantime, the, one of the strange upsides of the pandemic is that I got to test a boast that I had been making for years and years and years, that when I've been traveling sometimes on the other side of the globe, talking to people about drawing on the street, I have boasted in the past that even if for some reason I was you know, condemned to not be allowed to leave my own one street, I would not run out of places to draw. <laughs> and then when the shutdown happened, I got the chance to test that out. And I spent an entire year drawing, you know, within walking distance of my house. And I never ran out of places to draw. I drew almost exclusively within one block of my house for an entire year. And I still have places left on my mental to-do list that I haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> and only this spring have I finally started to maybe think about maybe going two blocks over. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know how to like help 
people draw like this? Like draw like that? Well, I do have a book on it. My mom's over there. She might let you look at a copy of it. Has all the secrets that I know. It's mostly. Well, and it's also been an opportunity to see how much uh, ephemerality is really a, the universal condition. That even things we think of as permanent, you know, I could think, oh, that's an interesting crack in the ground, but I have stuff I should do today. I'm going to come back because that crack's going to be there for a long time. Not always so, because not only do cracks get fixed cracks change over time they widen and they shift and the permanent ground has more in common with my dust than it does with any kind of actual permanence now i'll give you some hints they did call me eeyore when i was a child uh, and it was well earned because i'm actually a pretty anxious and gloomy person by nature you know, I've been a worrier since I was three feet tall. <laughs> that when I am drawing creatures on the street, I am drawing what reality failed to provide. So it's actually an answer to not having enough whimsy in my life that I have taken this whimsical path. Awesome. Now it is true that they're also crowding around me increasingly all the time. So when people have trouble talking to me in public, it's probably because one of my imaginary friends keeps popping up between their face and mine and wanting to be talked to instead. It might be evidence that there is whimsy available to our use. And yes, I think it'd be nice if people similar to me found their own source of this whimsy. There is a dynamic uh, that, that answers the question I get most often, um, where people want to know why I'm not sad that these drawings are destroyed by rain and wind. And some people are very uncomfortable with my not being uncomfortable about this. It's meant, I think, in part as a compliment. Like, oh, but this is so special. Why aren't you trying to hold on to it longer? Holding on to things is rarely a source of comfort and ease. That's pretty much where anxiety comes from, is holding on to things. Almost any, from any kind of spiritual philosophical angle, they will eventually probably tell you, yeah, letting go is where you find your ease and comfort, mm -hmm. not holding on. It's almost always about letting go. Yes. But it's also just a question of the reality of these admittedly imaginary friends. Um, and your friends, you certainly don't, you know, put up in the attic in a pile like a painter does with paintings. You can't, you can't store your friends. That's, that doesn't feel real to me at all. So if I was creating these creatures on paper and then filing them away, that would reduce the reality quite a lot. Whereas the relationship I do have, which I did stumble into by accident, so I'm not giving myself too much credit, I hope here, is that if you spend some time with this friend on the sidewalk, making him or her visible to other people, and then say goodbye and go home, that's more how friendships work. And if you come back to that spot a few days later and they're gone, that's what you would expect to have happen. Because what friends do is they show up again somewhere else on another time in another place and you spend more time together. That's how it should work. So their reality is very much dependent on their appearances not lasting forever. He's coming along. Now I just gotta do the, you know, I, I deliberately yeah, put like off I'm doing the legs. <laughs> Artists never like doing hands, it seems. Nope. Always the hard part. All right. I much prefer that they come and go as they please. When they aren't there the next day, I'm, I feel 
fairly confident in my artist brain that there's somewhere else doing something else. And that sometimes has been confirmed because people have sent me pictures of the characters that I draw. And so on the occasion when I wasn't drawing them, they were with this other person, which is fair. I'm not jealous. I shouldn't be like that. Yes, please go up into this other place and be drawn by this person and spend some time with them. And I'll see you when I see you. Many, many years ago, by sheer luck, someone sent me a photo from the streets of Sao Paulo of a piece of graffiti that was clearly sluggo as I had drawn him here, sweeping leaves under the sidewalk. <laughs> awesome. So within maybe a year of my drawing him for the first time, he was down in Brazil without me. All right, how you going? Well, it's something that I've found a very comfortable place with in my art, you know, um, using the obstacles of a not blank canvas to avoid what I find the much more terrifying prospect of a blank canvas. And it's something which I'm hoping over time I can carry over to the rest of my life. <laughs> because I'm sometimes shocked with how much I am still prone to seeing an obstacle as an obstacle um, and seeing a limitation of choices. So I, I want to make it clear that I'm struggling a lot with the lessons of my own silly drawings uh, whenever it's not involving just the sidewalk and chalk. And yet it seems to be a pretty clear message that at almost any moment, there's something which seems like an unbearable problem, which has usually been labeled unbearable and also labeled a problem by a pretty narrow definition in our own heads as to why this is something we have to be upset about. Yeah. Uh, and on very rare occasions, I've found that drawing from the lessons of Nadine and Sluggo, I can take a moment to consider like, are you sure that this is really a problem? And if it is a problem, are you sure it's an insurmountable, intolerable Over there on that table, see that wooden box? Yeah. Got a whole bunch of pieces of this. If you want to try using a piece of this, it's more like drawing with a pencil on paper. And I can try so, drawing a heart. You could. I bet you'd come out great. Another interesting experiment I've tried running is that maybe there is a future me that is able to go back and change stuff. And that what's happening now is the result of having changed everything that could possibly have been changed so far. And this, as miserable as this might be, it could be that this is the result of having avoided Lord knows what. A little smudge there, a little smudge there. Well, I think as a, as a pathologically shy person, a surprisingly effective way to deal with that is to be so deliberately abnormal in those circumstances that you're kind of off the chart. Where if people find you crawling on the ground, drawing with Crayolas at the age of 50, any sentence you put together when they talk to you is going to seem pretty impressive. It warns people that, you know, this conversation might be a little weird because look what I'm doing while we talk. It's also true, in, and this is another aspect of what we've been talking about, when you're trying to be creative, it's very easy to think too much about what you're doing. The best way to avoid that is to have someone distract you 
and get that part of your brain focused on answering a question over here so that the rest of your brain and the rest of your body and mind can just do it yeah. without thinking about it. That said, since, I mean, by now it's pretty obvious that I do talk to imaginary creatures, not usually out loud, but sometimes it gets to that. Um, <laughs> there can be a, an etiquette problem that I've run into that I'm not yet brave enough to ever ask a real flesh and blood person to please wait a moment until I finish talking to this imaginary mouse. I've often wanted to say that because the mouse does not speak very loud. And as we've discussed, the mouse is often trying to help me figure out why I'm there and what I'm doing. And as soon as an actual human being speaks, they drown out so much <laughs> with their real vocal cords and their actual words that eh, there have been some tense moments where it would be nice to be able to just block out the whole world and pay attention to the specs on the ground. But if I had that, I would probably start overthinking it and mess it up because yeah. I'd be sing too much. I was going to join you down there, but I didn't want to take up too much space. We got to leave it for you guys. But... We didn't know where you were going. It's the other good argument for making art in public and especially making art in public with children's toys, with a tool that we all are familiar with. My best hope of getting someone to reconnect with the artists they were when they were three years old using chalk is to be out in public using chalk. Very young children, to their credit, are completely unimpressed with anything I can draw because they understand that they are just as capable, if not more so, of creating great art. They haven't been told yet or gotten this self-doubt yet that tells like, no, 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 you're terrible at this. No, they are fantastic at art. The older the person is, the more help they need reconnecting with that kid that they used to be. And so I'm hoping, and I've had some evidence that this is working, that by being willing to make art in public and risk making something look stupid, but it'll be something made stupid with chalk that washes away in the rain, so who cares, is the best way to get more people, especially in that middle range between three years old and 50 years old, to think, no, I can do this. And it's an interesting thing because it used to be when people wanted to make fun of art, like modern art, they'd say, my kid can do that, which is true, but not in the way they think. Because the real response to that, that complaint, that joke is, well, yeah, your kid can do it, but I bet you can't. And that's the whole point. And all this time, I thought we were going to discuss the art of smudging. Well, this conversation came at a time when my soul needed a good dose of David's in wisdom, and I am grateful I got it. I hope you are too. With all the madness in this world, the political wrangling, the division, the tendency to go negative instead of positive, we could all use a little more sluggo and Nadine in our lives. He challenged me to start a story on the sidewalk, once upon a time in chalk, and see what happens. I will keep you posted. Till then, find us wherever you get your podcast and keep your eyes on the prize. A flying pig might be right around the corner. Thanks for listening. Take it easy. And as always, go blue.